Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. How are you all today? I hope you're all good. I hope you're excited. Once again, I want to apologize for the delays. Really want to apologize for the delays. We've made sure that all that we need to have a good evening service is, is being made available. And uh, I want to appreciate you all for your patience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, just give someone a high five right where you are, a virtual high five. Tell them how much you care and love about them. And um, let's uh, let's get started. Right. Let's get started. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Here's what we're going to do this evening. Um, I mean, we're 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 into we're deep into a fantastic teaching series uh, that is called Asking for a Friend. And this has been ongoing since the start of the month. And it's been great. I really do hope you've been learning a couple of things. The whole purpose of the things that we're teaching is so that you can apply yourself to this knowledge to use this knowledge to change people's lives to give them the answers that they need to give them a good sense of satisfaction with the knowledge of the truth to the point where someone is asking the toughest questions of life and you can actually meet them and tell them oh look this is what it is this is what i've i see logically this is what i see historically this is what i see when it comes to to the scripture scripturally and this is why i believe what i believe what that does it it not only gives you credence that people would value your your answers value your responses even more but it helps people understand that your faith is not a blind faith if there's anything you should know about christianity is the fact that Christianity is not a blind faith. Oh, far from it. It, It's a faith that literally started with people who saw. They were witnesses. And I know I have explained this before, but we are believers. We are not witnesses. Those who you can call witnesses of the gospel are those who saw it. Those people who witnessed the risen Christ. They saw him crucified, beaten, scourged on a Roman cross. And they saw him rise up from the grave after three days. They were witnesses. That's what started the faith. It sounds ironic, but their faith was started. The the gaps in their knowledge were breached by this event, this resurrection from the dead, where they saw Jesus alive again. Your faith is not blind. It's not. And you need to start to see it that way. Praise the name of Jesus. Right before we, we, we start off, I want to remind you of what we're up against. We're in a world where people will have different questions. And not only will they have questions, they will have opinions. A lot of people think that because they have an opinion, we all need to listen to them or we need to agree with them. You know, when it comes to this issue of of life and its meaning and the purpose of existence and where we came from, a lot of people will literally say all sorts of things to try and confuse us from the truth and want us to just take it like that, whether they have enough evidence or not. But what they, what they try to do is they try to push the burden of proof to us where we are trying to always defend and defend and defend and give reason and give reason where they don't even have to. But as much as we don't mind doing that, because we have nothing to hide, at the end of the day, these people have more reason to give us 
They have more reason to, to give us evidence, to give us proof for what they think they think. It's true, right? So, look, this whole teaching series is to help you be a formidable responder. That's what I'm saying. To make you a formidable responder. Someone who is quick on their feet. One thing that you'll realize, and this is a training for you. This is not just additional knowledge. This is something that I expect that you will put to practice. Did you realize that when you look at the, the, the teachings and the responses that the early apostles had in the book of Acts, if you're talking about Acts chapter 2 with Peter at the upper room, if you're talking about, you know, Philip's encounter in chapter 8, if you're talking about um, Cornelius, the, the encounter with Cornelius, if you're talking about these different setups in, in chapter 13 and chapter 16, you know, with the jailer and and all these events that happened in the book of Acts, if you look at it clearly, even with Stephen in chapter 7, chapter 6 and 7, when you see what happened with Stephen and his response to these people, these are not things that they prepared. They say, ah, bro, Steve, how far now? So you're going to make one speech in like a week. Make sure you prepare well, right? Um, you know, we'll make sure we prepare everything you need, honorarium, uh, guest speaker. So prepare well, okay? Nothing like that. It was absolutely spontaneous, absolutely impromptu. They weren't told that people would question them. Peter, Peter didn't know that people would ask him, are you guys drunk? He didn't know. But guess what? When the time came, he gave a defense. He talked about it. He explained, went from Joel, talked about what David said, expounded the scriptures, and led people there to the knowledge of the truth, to what Jesus had done. And 3,000 people were saved from impromptu preaching. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. The same thing happened with Stephen. Stephen started with Abraham, talked about the promise to, to, that God had through his lineage and brought it all the way to Jesus now, who we now see and love and know. And he explained all that had happened, but he didn't plan to do it. It tells you that there is a level of preparation that is expected of you when it comes to being able to defend your faith. There's a level of preparation. There's a way you need to learn these things, study these things, know the best approach to take in answering these questions so that when you're called upon to give an answer, oh, you're not afraid. You know what to say. You know what to do. You know how to say it. Glory to God. We have a mandate to be ready always to, to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and to do it with meekness and fear. First Peter 3.15 by now, you need to have known that scripture. So that's the mandate we have. We are to be ready. That's the key word. Ready always. Ready always. Ready always. Never found on fresh or, or unworded. Let me put it like that. Never caught unworded. That's it. You must always, always have the answers. The world expects it of you. And so you give them their expectations. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this evening, without further ado, the title we're, we're looking into and cl closely examining is, is this question that at some point in my own life I had asked. 
And I'm sure every one of you listening to me must have asked this question. And it's simple. Look, I, I really wish we could cover everything about this topic, but we barely can. We'll do what we can anyways. But the question is this. Does my life have meaning? Does my life have meaning? Does my life have meaning? When it comes to this matter, there are things that you have to ask. There are questions that follow. Is there, first of all, is there really meaning to life? You have to ask, is there actually real reason and real meaning to life? And if there is, who determines meaning? Or the purpose of a thing. Who determines it? Who determines it? There are questions that we need to ask. And it's real. Because when you look at life. If you're not careful. You could either be. On different sides. Where. You don't believe. That there is meaning to life. Altogether. Or you're on the side that there is so much meaning in life. But when it comes to what the real purpose of your life is, you really don't know. You miss out on it because when you talk about meaning, you're talking about purpose. When you talk about meaning of anything, you talk about purpose. You talk about functionality. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to walk you through all these things and, and try my best to explain If truly there is meaning in life, and what is it? If there is purpose in life, and what your purpose is in all of this. We're about 7.8 billion people on the earth. Seven, and the number is increasing by the day. And we have all these people all around the world doing all kinds of things. But the question is, who, who, who has it right? Who has it right Do we know for sure what we are, who we are, what we're doing here, why we're here on the earth? 7.8 billion people and not nearly enough people know why they're here. Can I tell you something? There is something that the enemy is trying to do. If the devil can make you doubt that your life has meaning or doubt your identity, doubt your purpose or doubt that there is a purpose he's winning because what that does is give you a life without consequences and give you a life without direction but let me not get ahead of myself let me tell you some things that some people are saying let me tell you some things some people are saying um one thing i read was um an article on medium and the person said that there is no single universally true answer to the question of the meaning of life. There is only the correct answer for you. And the person said, went on to say, the purpose of life is the purpose we put into it. Are you listening? It says the purpose of life is the purpose that we ourselves put into it. Its meaning is whatever we may choose to call the meaning. So that's one person's perspective that when it comes to life, this thing called life and the meaning of life, it depends on what we think. It's really the the meaning we ascribe to it. 
it's kind of like a value system right if you have a watch it doesn't matter how much that watch costs if it has some sentimental value if it has something maybe your your lover the person you love so much in the world gave you that although it might not be the most expensive thing but it's so sentimental whatever value you ascribe to it is the right value because it's personal to you that that's the idea of this system it, it's saying you know what you determine what happens you determine what the meaning of life really is you determine what your purpose really is that's what people say another thing that people say is that there is no meaning to life at all that there is no meaning to life at all people say that there really is no meaning we're all just a bunch of organisms that came as a result of evolution and and in all of this we're just trying to survive it's survival for the fittest that's the the concept of evolution everybody is trying to survive in this world not just human beings but animals and all living organisms fighting in this same space on this blue marble called earth trying to survive that there is really no meaning we're all just moving towards an towards an end that is unknown we're all just accelerating in such a way that we don't even realize we don't have direction we have no meaning there is really no value of things that's what some people say but I want to say something about this belief. Uh, and the reason why I'm doing this is so that you know what people are saying. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is what you think as well. I want you to examine something with me. The, the answer to this question or the response to this question really is dependent upon vastly. It's dependent upon the existence of God. If God exists... It means that he created all life, including us. The, the very definition of who God is, that supreme being, means all things came from him. And, and this is not a teaching to defend the existence of God or prove the existence of God. I mean, we've done that countlessly. But I want you to just think with me. If, if God really exists and he created all things, it, it changes the whole situation. It changes everything about life and its meaning. It changes everything about you. It means you're not just some accident or a product of random occurrences. It means you were well thought out. It means that you were well designed. It means that there was a lot of intentionality and thoughts that was put into bringing you into the picture. And what that ultimately means is that your actions mean things. There are consequences for your actions. If God had created the world and created you, it means he had an idea for creating you. It means there are expectations on how he wants you to function. And so it means every action you take has consequences. But this is all predicated upon the fact that God exists. If God does not exist, you can ask the atheist, you can ask the agnostic. If God really doesn't exist, it means life has no meaning. You can't ascribe any meaning to life. Why? Because there is no reason to. You have no source. You have no standard for doing anything, for, for saying what is right or what is wrong, for telling what is real and what is false. You have no standard anymore if God does not exist. And that's why the whole world will crumble into pieces if there is no God. The idea of a God 
who is supreme and creative does not exist. It's not going to hold weight. But people do say that there is no meaning to life at all, especially those who don't believe in the existence of God. They believe we're just a bag of dust. From dust we came to dust will return, right? But they still have to ask the question, even if we came from dust, where did the dust come from? <laughs> Anyways, that's just by the way. But but these are real things that we need to think about. And throughout this series, you have to put on your thinking cap to examine these things that are being said, right? Another thing that people say, aside from people saying you determine what the meaning of life is or there is no meaning to life at all, number three thing that people say is that no one can really ever know the meaning of life. No one can ever really know the meaning of life. And I really don't like when people say this, when people try to overgeneralize and say no one can ever know. How do you know? Just because you've you've decided to give up on your search of the meaning of life doesn't mean others have or doesn't mean others don't know what the meaning of life is just because you don't know. Don't overgeneralize and say no one can ever know. That's not true. How where did you get your facts from? How do you know that you're true? How do you know that you're correct? And so it's a flimsy statement to say that no one can ever really know the meaning of life. Here is another thing that people say. People say that purpose is happiness and prosperity. People have mistaken the the pursuit of, many people have mistaken the pursuit of happiness for the discovery of purpose. And this is something that's so common. People just say, live your life. Do whatever it is that makes you happy. You deserve to be happy. You, you deserve to do what makes you happy. You deserve to enjoy yourself and be happy. But if really purpose is happiness, then there's a big problem. There's a big problem. If, if, if purpose is prosperity, then there is a big problem. Let me show you the scripture. Let's open our Bibles. To Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Are you there? We're going to read from verse 1. It's a bit of a long read, but we're going to try and do what we can. All right, uh, maybe till verse 11. Let's go to verse one. I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this is also vanity. So this is King Solomon who is lamenting and talking about all these things. Verse two, I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on fully till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heavens of the days of all the days of their lives. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. So he's talking about things that he was able to do with the wealth that he had, with the prosperity that he had. Verse five, I made me gardens and orchards and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood 
that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments and that of all sorts. Verse 9, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem and my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. Look at this. This was the height of indulgement. He said, whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Look at verse 11. Look at this. This is where it gets serious. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. All was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Look at this. How does a man who had everything in the world, everything he could ask for at his beck and call, Talk about his success, his prosperity, the wealth he amassed, the entertainment he obtained. And at the end of the day, conclude that all was vanity. It had no reason. But if, if truly purpose is prosperity, shouldn't this have been someone who had discovered purpose? Shouldn't this have been someone who had discovered the, the secrets of happiness? But that's the point. Many have mistaken the idea of a pursuit of happiness being equivalent to finding purpose. And it's wrong. It's wrong. There are a lot of people who are happy. A lot of people who try to find happiness in many things. In temporary things, in entertainment. But the question is, is that your purpose? Can the thing that just makes you happy, whether, if, for example, if you, you find happiness in comedy, is that really what your purpose is? If you find happiness, do you know that people are happy when they smoke and drink? It gives a sense of pleasure. Does that mean that's where your purpose is? There are people who are absolutely wealthy and, and i mean i was just doing some personal research of my own and i realized that man this thing we call success we have it twisted our, our mentality of what success to the world it looks amazing to the world it looks fantastic but really in reality these things are just not as impressive you know, the Bible even says in 1 Corinthians 13 that even if you give your body to be burned or, or give all your possessions to the poor, but have not love, it, it profits nothing. I tell you, for someone who gives his body to be, to be burned, that's impressive. If you sell all your possessions, if you have faith that can move a mountain, that's impressive. The world will see you and say you are successful, but literally says to God it means nothing. 
What that means is that there's a place you can get to where you're pursuing happiness and success. And it might look like you're on the right path, but God is looking at you and saying, nah, you missed it. So back to what I was saying, I did some research and I saw a couple of very popular celebrities. Um, celebrities who the world sees on a pedestal. And, 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 you know, sees them as these successful people, these wealthy people. We're talking about Hollywood actors and musicians. And people look at them so highly in such regard. But the truth is, even with a lot of the things that these people own, they're not happy. Their, their prosperity didn't necessarily translate to happiness. I mean, I, was, I remember the, the, the famous comedian and actor Robin Williams who committed suicide, who was tired of life. Another actress who acted in Spider-Man 3, she, she, she committed suicide. She, she hanged herself. And you see the list of some celebrities who are, you know, struggling with depression. And I, I'm not saying that, they, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers to, to shame them or di discriminate. These are things that happen to people because they are people. But I'm trying to tell you that regardless of all the wealth, all the fame, all the success that they've attained, it still hasn't made them happy and satisfied. These people are still looking out for something more. These people still yearn to know there has to be more than this. There has to be more than this in this life. There has to be more for me. There has to be more meaning than this. I can't just keep doing this. And that's the point. Purpose, true purpose is something that satisfies. When you truly discover purpose, there is satisfaction that comes with it. So purpose is not merely happiness or prosperity. Another thing people say is that purpose is your career path or your job. People say, you know what? I was born to be a doctor. Oh, I was born to be a football player. I was born to be a lawyer. I was born to be a scientist. I was born to be an actor or an actress. And people have this idea that we are born to be one particular thing. And I find it absurd. Because when you look at the life of, of a particular young man that I'm going to, dis I'm going to talk about, you probably will be confused and he probably will be confused if this is what purpose is. First of all, the, the first thing we see about David, one of the first things we see about David, the king, uh, who eventually became a king, was that he was an errand boy. His father sent him to the battlefield to where his brothers were trying to fight for the, for the country and he gave him food to give them. He was an errand boy. If that were the case and it was about your career path at that particular time that, that, that determines your purpose, it means that David was destined to be a logistics manager. He was meant to be a delivery agent. That's his purpose in life. And then soon after we see that he's a, he's a shepherd who is tending to the sheep. It means his purpose in life is to be a shepherd, to take care of sheep forever. And then later we see he defeats a giant. And maybe even before that, he, he he kills a bear, he kills a lion. We could have just said David's purpose is being a hunter. And then we go on and we see him slay a giant. Oh, he's meant to be a giant slayer. 
But we don't hear about another giant that he slayed in his life. And that would mean he missed out on purpose. Hey, yeah, too bad. But soon after, we see that he plays musical strings. And he can play the harp and he sounds so good. It means he was destined to be a musician. Oh, but soon after, he goes to war, fights battles, and he wins everyone. He, he lost no war whatsoever. And maybe he is meant to be a warrior. The truth is... If you start to determine a person's purpose by their career paths, you run into problems. There is more to life than just a, a career path. I can't believe that God created you. And, or, or let me just say, if, if for, the, for the sake of this argument, that God created you, that all you will ever amount to will be a graphics designer. That's why he created you to, to, to make graphics designs. You, you can't expect that God invested in you for all these years to do something as mundane as that. I'm not saying doing graphics design is a mundane task, but I mean, that cannot be your purpose. That cannot be your purpose. It doesn't add up. You're, you, you, you might have a job and a career that is good and great, but I can tell you for sure that many times it's only a vehicle, it's only a channel, it's only a tool for actually achieving God's purpose for your life. But, but these are the things that a lot of people say. Another thing for, that people say is that purpose is not for every, is not the same for everyone. That you have a purpose, you have a purpose, everyone has a purpose, and all those purposes are different, right? But, but let's look at it carefully. Let's look at it now. Some things to know about purpose. Number one, and I'll just say this as, as we, we try to round off, right? Number one, some things to know about purpose. Number one, and this is not a direct definition of purpose, but everyone longs for love. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that everyone actually longs for love? Everyone longs to love and everyone longs to be loved. It's, it's something that, it, that exists everywhere. It's something that exists everywhere. I mean, you, you see it in the movies. You see it in the fact that this whole earth is populated. People get together, meet the person they call the love of their life, and they make babies, and they love them, and they, there, there is the institution called marriage. And it's not just something that is in one part of the world. It's everywhere in the world. In fact, love seems to be a universal language. There is something that connects all of us some way. And it's this thing called love. Everyone wants to love and be loved. And, and the truth is those people who don't want to love or be loved, maybe one of the issues is that they, they weren't raised to be that way or they, they, the love that they already had had been stifled, had been suppressed by something or someone but the norm, every normal functioning human being has that inner propensity for love. That propensity to be loved. It's in every human being. And, and that's something that unites us. I'm going to come back to this so you see what I'm talking about. But love seems to be a universal language that we all speak. Number two thing you need to know is purpose purpose i believe is sacrificial 
Purpose is sacrificial. And I'm going to explain what this means. Purpose is sacrificial simply means it's what I call and one one thing that um, a man of God I respect so much, Pastor Emmanuel Aaron would always say that the paradox of purpose is that when you discover the purpose for living, you'll be willing to die for it. It is the it demands sacrifice. Purpose is, is that thing that is sacrificial, that when you really, 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 truly discover the purpose for which you were created, once you really discover it, you'll be willing to die for that cause. You'll be willing to die to fulfill your purpose. It, that's the irony and the paradox of purpose. So that's one thing you need to know. Purpose is sacrificial. But to respond to some of the other things I've said earlier, purpose is not your career path. Purpose is not your career path. Are you following me? Purpose is not your career path. I believe that there are divine assignments that you would have. I believe that there are things that you would do that would help your purpose, that would help you in fulfilling purpose, but they're not purpose in itself. They're not purpose in itself. Praise the name of Jesus. They're not purpose in itself. But your, your purpose and the meaning of your life is not your job. It's not your career. It's not your nine to five. It's not that business you've set up. There's more to life. And I will still prove it as we go on. But this is just something for you to know. The next thing I will say is purpose is not happiness or prosperity. Purpose is not happiness or prosperity. If you decide and say that purpose really is these things, it's prosperity and happiness. I mean, there are a couple of people that will come to mind when it comes to purpose. And when you look at their lives, you will not necessarily see a life of prosperity or a life of happiness, but you can't deny that they were purposeful in their lives. A typical example I'll mention is a man known as Martin Luther King Jr. You, you should know him, MLK, right? This guy was the, one of the, the major leaders of the civil rights movement in, in America in the 1950s. And this was someone who was so given to this cause. He was arrested several times. He was assaulted several times to the point that he was actually assassinated. This was not a happy life. His people were oppressed. He was oppressed. It was not a, a life of happiness, of, of prosperity, of abundance. In fact, it was the opposite. But today, his life has been regarded as one of the most influential, most purposeful lives in all, all of time. You can't relegate purpose to just a feeling of happiness or, or a time of prosperity. It's beyond that. And when you look at his life, you can see one who was willing to die for his cause. Praise the name of Jesus. So purpose is not happiness, neither is it prosperity. And the next thing I'm going to say is that I believe that purpose is universal. I believe that purpose is universal. What I mean is that Purpose is not unique. Purpose is not, I have my purpose, you have your purpose. And it's different. I'm going to explain. I know a lot of people might not want to agree with this. 
but I'm going to explain. An example I'll give is is this guy by the name of Graham Bell. I'm sure some of you know about him from um, your science classes. Graham Bell, this is the guy that invented the telephone. And since the time he invented it till now, phones have taken all sorts of shapes and sizes and functionalities and features, right? Phones have just evolved over the years. But when you think about it, you realize that the guy called Graham Bell, his desire and his function was so that he would allow ease of communication to help people to connect from one place to another in different locations and very quickly. He designed phones to be able to make calls. And this is the thing, no matter how nice a phone looks or how shapely it looks or technical it looks, it might, in fact, it might be able to do other things. If you look at a typical phone today, a phone can take pictures, a phone can play games, a phone can surf the internet and tweet and do Instagram. But a phone can, you can, without doubt, say that a phone that can do all these nice things, but cannot place a phone call or send a text message is not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. Can we all agree on that? If you have a phone that can do all these nice things and take pictures and play games, but it can't place a call, it's not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. In fact, there is this um, object we call a chair. Chairs have been in existence for as long as, as time itself. Chairs, chairs have been there thousands of years before Christ and are still here till today. And they were designed for people to sit upon, especially thrones and kings. Things that people could sit upon and, and stay and sit and relax. But if you have a chair that is fancy, is so good looking, it looks like the, the best shape you've ever seen. But it doesn't have a space to sit comfortably or it's not even for sitting. Then it's not fulfilling purpose. You can't call it a chair anymore. The whole point of what I'm saying is this. We have humans in, in all of the earth. We have humans in all of the earth. They're different sizes, different shapes, different colors, different talents, different gifts, different abilities, different features. But guess what? You best believe that all humans have a united purpose, have a singular purpose. And because when you see design and functionality, it, it really does tell you of a creator. It really does tell you of a designer. When you see design, when you see functionality, it tells you that something was created, something was designed. And, and, and if something was created and something was designed, it tells you that there is a creator, there is a designer. Praise the name of Jesus. This is one argument we use to show that God truly does exist. When you see yourself, you see your life, you see how your body functions, how your brain works, how you know things just add up in the way your body is designed and, and functions. In fact, the, the human body um, economists have placed 
a, a human life at $10 million. And that's pretty expensive, if you ask me. But honestly, I, I mean, not nearly enough. Not nearly a lot. How many of you will be willing to sell your eye, your right eye, for even just a million dollars? How many of you will be willing to do that? How many of you will be willing to sell out your heart for $5 million? It, your life really is so precious. There is value to you. And because of how expensive that you are or how valuable that you are, it tells you that there is someone who put these things together. The body, the human body has been said to be the most complex machine in all of the world. Why? Because no other human being has been able to design and create such a machine in the entire world. No human being has successfully created another human being with life in them. That's what I'm trying to say. So it tells you that there is such intentionality in design to humans. And that tells of a designer. That tells of a creator. So this brings me to my next point about purpose. Purpose is not determined by you. It's discovered. Purpose is not determined by you. Rather, it is discovered. So against what that person said, that you are the one who determines what the meaning of your life is or what the purpose of your life is, is actually the opposite the chair doesn't look to itself to know what its purpose is. The chair looks to the carpenter. Why did you make me? Oh, I made you to allow people to be comfortable, to sit down. Oh, great idea. To the phone, you look at the inventor. Why did you make me? I want you to help people make communication better and easily. Oh, great idea. But in everything, the design does not look within itself. It looks to the designer. The creation doesn't look to itself for its purpose and function. It looks to the creator. And if we are to know what our purpose, what the meaning of this life is, we need to go back to the source of all life. We need to go back to the creator of all things. We need to ask the designer of all creation, why are we here? What is my purpose? Why did you bring me into this world on this earth? What am I here to do? What am I here to achieve? And this is what I want to tell you. I want to help you. I want you to see that because of this, you can't say your, your purpose is superior to another person's purpose. Or oh, I was destined to be a doctor, but you were just destined to be a mechanic. Yeah, you're not really saving anyone. That's not what purpose is. Our purpose is united. It's universal. Our purpose is not unique. We may have different assignments and different career paths and different skills and different features like I mentioned that a phone can have. But still, fundamentally, there is one purpose. And that's what we're about to see. What I'm going to do is I want to help you. I want to show you some scriptures. If we are going to find out what the meaning of life is, we need to go to the source. And I'm positing, I'm submitting to you that the source of all life is this person we call God. He's laid down the manuscript, the blueprints for us, for us to see and see that this is how we're supposed to live. And this is what we're living for. Praise the name of Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles with me quickly. Let's go here. To Revelation chapter 4 from verse 11. Revelation chapter 4 from verse 11. But before we, we read that, I want to give you a very good practical working definition 
of purpose. I want to give you a good practical um, definition of purpose. It's simple. It's one that um, Pastor Emmanuel Aaron of Celebration Church coins so well. It's just so perfect. And this is what it says. It says, purpose is that one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. I'm going to tell you that again. Purpose is that one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. And that's the point. It's that one thing you must you are, you are created for that you must succeed at. So if you can make calls as a telephone, you're doing great. But if you can't make make calls, but you can you can take pictures and play games and, and, and do all sorts of things. But yet you can't make a phone call. It means you haven't fulfilled the purpose for which you have been created. So that's a simple working definition for purpose. It's, it's singular. It's, it's, it's specific. Praise the name of Jesus. So let's go to Revelation chapter 4 from verse 11. This is one that you know so well. It's a song given if you ask me. It's a beautiful song that a lot of us know. Are you there with me, guys? All right, look at what it says. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. There's no way I could read this without singing this text. (laughs) To receive glory, honor, and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Your pleasure they are. And we're created. This reveals something so special. It says you're worthy to receive the glory and honor. For you created all things. For what reason did he create all things? For your pleasure they were created. They are and were created. (laughs) That's amazing. To a lot of people, this is a very narcissistic text. How dare you tell us? The reason you created us is to please you, that you'll be happy. But when you look at it this way, when God created the entire universe, when he created the things that exist, you can clearly see that he loved what he created. He created this and said, oh, this is good. He created that and said, oh, this is good. Because look, the designer has the divine prerogative or the reserved rights to be pleased by his creation. There is no person who invents something new and it works well and it works fine and is not pleased by it. But he created us. He created all things for his pleasure. For his pleasure. We're going to come back to this because I want to show you how we please the creator. How exactly do we please the creator? But before that, let's just open to Romans chapter 8 from verse 29. If you can get this, it will change your life. It will change your perspective to life. It will change your perspective to work. It will change your perspective to your giftings. Everything will change about you. Oh, look at this. Romans chapter 8 from verse 29. This is so brilliant. This is so brilliant. Romans chapter 8 from verse 29. This is what it says. 
It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. He said, Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to do what? So what was his his grand plan in creation? What was his grand plan in, in designing and making you be? Is so that at the end of the day, you will become conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. To look like him, to know him, to be like him in all ways that he wants you to be. That's what it looks like. That was the purpose. That was the reason. That was the predestinated act of God for all people that he will call. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm going to read one more scripture. I want you to just follow what I'm saying. I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 from verse 21. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 21. It's a very popular scripture. And I'm sure you know it, but it highlights something so special. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 21. This is good. This is so good. I promise. It says this. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the Apostle Paul stating the reason for his life. And no, you know, you can say that, oh, no, this is probably just Paul. I mean, he was an apostle. This is what he was commissioned to do. This is his own purpose. But I can tell you categorically That this is the life of the believer. The Bible says that our lives are no longer our own. It belongs to the one who bought us with the price. Hallelujah. It says your life is no longer your own. So life is no longer your own. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We also see in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 20. This is what it says. It says, you know, Paul is speaking. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you look at these things, you can see that the central focal point of our lives has now become Christ. It has been Christ. Christ becomes the center. Christ becomes the purpose. It becomes about knowing him. It becomes about being conformed to his image. This is what Our lives surround to live is Christ. Little wonder that the scriptures tell us of one central figure. The Old Testament points to one person. The New Testament points to one person. It's this same man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And the good thing about this is that he showed the the express demonstration of love when he gave his life for us. He showed us purpose in the demonstration of his love. Remember when I said that everyone loves, everyone yearns to be loved, everyone wants to love. Guess what? Jesus did this. Jesus did this. God did this in such a way that he created us with a burning and growing need for his love. He created a God-sized hole in in our hearts for him. 
that only he can feel. And that's why a lot of people try to stuff their lives with, with happiness and pleasures and prosperity. And it never does the job at filling the gap, the hole in their hearts. But Jesus came to fill that hole. He came to, to give us himself as a demonstration of love. Greater love has no man than for him to lay down his life for his friend. And he did just that. It tells you that when God created you, he created you with the capacity to love. He created you with the capacity to be like his son, Jesus Christ, to be like the one who died for you on the cross. When you talk about your purpose, you start to think of Jesus. You start to think about Christ. He is the central point, God in flesh. But let me tell you how this is, how directly relevant this is. It says in Romans, um, in Revelation 4.11, pardon me, I beg your pardon. Revelation 4.11, where it says, for you created all things for your pleasure. The question is, how exactly do you please God? If your purpose is to bring him pleasure as his creation, how exactly does this happen? You know, and, and when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us, it says that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Remember that scripture. So if you want to please God, if you're doing things for his pleasure, it happens by knowing him, by trusting him. Your purpose then becomes knowing him and putting faith in him. And, and ultimately, if this is your purpose, if this is what brings him pleasure in, in, in putting faith in him, in, 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 in putting your faith and trusting in him, if this pleases him, what that means is that you automatically have the responsibility to help other people do the same. Other people in this world that are trying to find their footing, trying to find the meaning of life, trying to thinking that their life has no meaning, willing to end it all because it, life seems to make no sense, because there seems to be no, no end to this pursuit of happiness. It then becomes a responsibility of yours to help them see the light, to help them see that, look, they too need to put faith in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is in him. Everyone's purpose is in the Lord. To know him and to make him known to others who haven't known him yet. That's the purpose of life. And that's why everything we do in our pursuit in this life, the only thing that will bring ultimate satisfaction, the only thing that will satisfy that God-sized hole in your heart is Jesus himself. That you may be pleasing to him and he becomes your pleasure. That's how it is. Glory to God. But you see, this thing called life, there is meaning, there is purpose to it. It's not abstract, it's not confusing. There is real purpose, and you can know your purpose. It's here, it's in Jesus Christ. That's where we find purpose, hallelujah. So you might have many dreams and many talents, and you, you might be a business analyst or a graphics designer or, or a, a, a model or a fashion designer. All these things that you have can be assignments, as I'll call them. They can be the vehicles for fulfilling purpose, the channels, 
fulfill which purpose is fulfilled. You can use these things to impact the dying world. You can use your position, your career to change another person's life, to redirect their focus to the Lord, to help them put and place faith in the Lord Jesus. You can do that. Even if you're a pastor or a prophet or an evangelist, those are still platforms that help you achieve ultimate purpose. So you are not destined to be a pastor. Your purpose in life is not to be an evangelist. Your purpose is not to be a doctor or to be a mechanic or an engineer. It's more than that. Your purpose is to be pleasing to God through faith in his son, Jesus, to receive the love that he has offered to you and to help others receive that love. That is purpose. If the Bible is replete and invested with so many pages talking about the coming of the Messiah and the actual appearance of the Messiah, his death, his sacrifice, and all of this are central for thousands of years of writing and and existence, it tells you that purpose is something that has eternal significance. Purpose is not just that thing you find here and that's it and it ends. It's not about the stuff, the temporary stuff. It's about things of eternal significance. If we are to make an impact in God's realm, his eternal realm, it means that our purpose must have eternal value. And I tell you, there's nothing more eternal than eternal life in Christ Jesus, than salvation in Christ Jesus, in receiving the love that he has given. That's what has eternal value in saving people through salvation, to help them put faith in Jesus, that has eternal value. So you have to think from this perspective, if you believe that human beings are, 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 are beings that live even beyond this life, then there is an afterlife. It tells you that there are certain things that we are to do on this side of eternity that count for the next side of eternity, the next phase of eternity, eternal life, the life after. So I submit to you that purpose is not just that thing that is unique to each person. We all have one purpose. We're all created by a creator, a beautiful designer, a loving designer. And he didn't design us to just be robots and to work by a series of codes and programs. He gave us free will. And because he did that, it's our our responsibility now. To help everyone align to the to the purpose, to the meaning of the life he's given to us, which is to know him and to make him known in all the earth. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.